truly a delight to be with you this morning. My name is uh, Gary Mathis, and uh, my wife Ginger and I are uh, glad that we can uh, share in this time of worship together with you. And, um, you know, a morning like today reminds me of that, that passage that says, um, many are cold, but few are frozen. <laughs> All right? I, I hope that, uh, you know, as you come here today, that you're, you're warm enough and uh, um, it's always, uh, uh, you know, comfort to be in the presence of the Lord with God's people. And uh, it's uh, good to be here and able to share with you from uh, God's word and uh, to be encouraged because uh, God's word is encouraging, right? And uh, uh, this is, uh, what, the third Sunday now of uh, January, um, the year 2020, and I don't know about you, but uh, of course, uh, I've noticed uh, a lot of churches, a lot of organizations are utilizing on the, the 2020 theme of vision and having, uh, you know, the, the right focus. And I think it's important uh, for any organization every so often to kind of take a look at itself and to make sure it's headed in the right direction, has the right focus. And uh, I think it's important even uh, for the, the church to do that. So... Today I want to share with you a message that pertains to the church, and um, uh, in particular, uh, Jesus coming and sharing that he, his purpose was to build, as he says, my church. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to be reading there here in just a moment, uh, beginning uh, here in uh, verse 13. How many of you like to, to build things with your hands, create things? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, I believe, uh, you know, when God made us in his image, being the creator, that he created us with also a propensity to want to create things, to build things, to, uh, to be able to say, I built this, you know, uh, as parents, we, we uh, sometimes enjoy our children as they come and I did this, you know, and, and uh, we're so excited for them because uh, they are doing something uh, creative. And so it's, it's a joy to build something. And uh, prior to entering into the ministry, I was an electrician for a number of years uh, in Springfield and uh, also uh, had worked in construction prior to that. And uh, I enjoy building things. I enjoy, you know, getting out there and uh, wiring and, and even throwing up some two-befores and things like that and uh, um, have been able to, to utilize that uh, throughout uh, my years and uh, especially when Ginger watches some of those Joanna Gaines, uh, sh you know, shows and says, you know, I want that and so uh, recently, uh, we threw up some shiplap walls, and ladies, uh, if you know what that is, then you'll understand, and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy just doing those kind of things, building, constructing. Well, did you know that uh, Jesus started something, started to build something, and even today continues to construct something, and that is his church. And so as we take a look at this patch of Scripture, I want us to focus in on what is it that Jesus is building and how that we can be a part of it. Because 
Jesus wants us to share the gospel so that people can be saved. And when people are saved, he wants them to become a part of his church, the body of Christ. And so as we take a look at uh, today's passage, we'll see indeed what he is uh, building. Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged that the disciples would tell no one that he was the Christ. Well, as we take a look at this, uh, this passage, notice that uh, Jesus is with his disciples. It says that he's with them in Caesarea Philippi. That was kind of the, the headquarters for Jesus. That's where he uh, called uh, uh, close to Bethsaida, where he called uh, James and John and Peter and Andrew. And uh, he spent much of his ministry around, uh, of course, the Sea of Galilee. He would travel back from Galilee to Judea and then back and so forth. And at this point in his ministry, they were there at uh, Caesarea Philippi. And the disciples, of course, have been following him and seeing all of the, the miracles that he had done. At this point in his ministry, he had fed 5,000. And he had also, at another time, had fed 4,000. It wasn't too long ago that they seen a crowds come with the, the crippled and the deaf and the blind and the, the ill and the demon-possessed and saw how Jesus healed and cast out the, the evil demons. And they knew that he wasn't just any ordinary man. And the crowds knew that he wasn't just any ordinary man. And so as the disciples had been following him, now came a time when Jesus was going to question, so what are people saying? And it wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't necessarily that he was wondering. After all, he is (laughs) all-knowing. But it was more for the disciples. And so he poses the question, who do people say that I am? Those 5,000, those 4,000, all those people who came to me, what what are they saying? And and they begin to say, well, some think that you're John the Baptist. Of course, at this time, John the Baptist uh, had been killed. uh, And therefore, John the Baptist come back to life in some way. Others were saying, no, he's one of the prophets like Jeremiah and, and And then he gets very direct with the disciples, with the 12 in particular. And he says to them, what about you? Who do you say that I am? 
And by the way, that's still a very pertinent question for today, is it not? Because there's a lot of different opinions about Jesus even today. Not everybody shares the same opinion of Jesus as you and I do. Most people would think that he's a great teacher. You know, kind of one of those ancient prophets. And and they would put him on the same level as uh, Muhammad or Gandhi or somebody like that. But they would still consider him a man, an ancient prophet. And so it still becomes a very important question. Well, who do you say that I am? And what would your answer be? Well, as Jesus poses this question to his disciples, it's Peter, as they're looking around wondering, okay, who's going to answer this? You know, right? It's Peter who speaks up and says, You're the Christ, which meant the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus is pleased with that answer, is he not? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. Good job. Good job. And he goes on and he talks about that uh, on, or, or, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. So I want us to focus on the, the church, the idea of the church, what Jesus had come to do and to build. I will build my church, which, by the way, is an important understanding because we need to understand that it's not my church, it's not your church, it's not our church, it's Jesus' church. Sometimes we get possessive of it. Well, I gave money. This is my church. Or I've been here so long. It's my church. I got news for you today. It's not. It's not your church. Never will be. It's Jesus' church. Now, you're a part of what he's building. But he's the owner. And that's an important principle. But let's take a look at it, because I want us to understand, first of all, the church's foundation, its beginnings, because everything that we build needs to have a solid foundation, all right? I remember um, when I was at the College of the Ozarks for about uh, four years, I worked on one dormitory. We were building this uh, 120-room dormitory out of concrete. And I remember as we began to, to build the uh, dormitory that... We had to uh, establish, I don't know how many pillars, I think there were like, you know, 120 pillars um, of, the, of this five-story concrete building. And each pillar, it was required that, that we had four feet of solid rock that that pillar would be stand on, it would stand on. And so we would uh, take drills, these uh, pneumatic drills, and we were drilling to the rock. And that was hard labor, by the way, you know. It's loud. And uh, so as we were drilling, and they would put the, the rebar in, in those holes that we were drilling, uh, but as we were drilling, sometimes, all of a sudden, the drill would just fall. 
And what that would indicate was that there was a cavity. And if it was before the, the forefoot that we were looking for, then they would have to dynamite it. Which, by the way, that was pretty fun too, you know. <laughs> but it, it established in my mind that if you want to, for a building to be secure, it has to have a solid foundation. So when we take a look at the church, it has a, follow, a solid foundation. You see, the church was envisioned by God many years ago. It was envisioned by the Father. God had always wanted to have a people that he would call his own. That he would create for himself people who would love them, him with all of their hearts. And who he could prove himself faithful to. And of course we know that that began in the Old Testament with the uh, nation of Israel. Beginning with Abraham. And that would be his people. But also as we read through the Old Testament, if you're familiar, then you know that the nation of Israel wasn't always faithful. They would always go wayward. But God would always be true to his people. But at some point, there came this, this time where, where God needed to do a remodel project, right? <laughs> and so he sent his son so that he could expand upon that which he had envisioned even before the foundations of the earth. In Deuteronomy 7, God would say, For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all of the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. So it was always in the heart and mind of God that he would have a people for himself. And Jesus came along and expanded upon that which he had begun so many years ago. And so the church is established by Jesus. Jesus came with a mission to continue building the community of God and to establish the church. And that word church, uh, many of you may know, is ecclesia. It means the called out ones that were, were called out of this world of darkness and into this community of light that God had established and accomplished through the work of Christ. And so Jesus came to build this building. And we read earlier in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostle and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone and in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord that's what he's building and he's building it upon people like you and I but this building also sets on the foundation because it's empowered by the spirit we see the trinity at work with being established by the father being uh, built up and uh, through the work of the Son and empowered by the Spirit. And the Spirit comes along and He convicts people and He convinces that's part of His ministry. So that He stirs up within us this conviction of our sin and He helps us to grasp the truth of the gospel. 
And, and that's part of what it means to be born again. It's the Spirit at work in our life, bringing us to a point of faith. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians, For you are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greeks or slave or free. For all were given the one Spirit to drink. And so we see the Trinity at work. Envisioned by the Father, established by the Son, empowered by the Spirit, and entered into by faith. By faith. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus is pleased. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not uh, revealed to you by man, but by my Father, in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. As we take a look at this, we, we see that Peter didn't come to this conclusion because he went out and did a, a poll or survey. He didn't come to this conclusion of who Jesus was by going to the library and doing a research project. Jesus says, Peter, you came to this understanding because my Father revealed it to you. It was Jesus who would say in John 6, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And so we understand that it is the Lord who is at work in our life bringing us to this point of, of faith. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. You didn't discover this on your own. God revealed this to you. And, and led him to this conviction of who Jesus was. And with that convic conviction then, it leads to a confession. That you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was faith in who Jesus was that led to a de declaration of who Jesus is. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Bible tells us, as Paul would write in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believed and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's this confession that pleased Jesus. When Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, it's our confession that pleases Jesus when we say that Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you. Have you made that confession? Have you made that declaration in your life? Have you come to a place where you understand that Jesus is no ordinary human being? But that he is fully God and fully man. That he is God incarnate. That he is the Lord the sovereign one, the king, the master of the universe, the owner of all. And there's no one other 
than Jesus, who can save us from our sins. He is Lord. Have you made that confession? When you do, then there is a change that comes about, a conversion that comes about. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. There's a conversion. And it even happens with, with Peter. He makes that confession, and, and Jesus once again uh, reaffirms his nickname, that you are Peter, because his actual name, his birth name was Simon. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For you are Peter, reminiscent of the first time that, that Simon met Jesus uh, after Andrew brings him to, uh, to Jesus in the Gospel of John. And, and Jesus, in his first encounter, uh, renames him, you're Peter, which is an amazing thing because Peter means rock. But Peter was anything but a rock, wasn't he? He wasn't stable. He wasn't secure. I mean, even after this point, uh, I mean, just, just a few minutes later, Peter's going to come and rebuke Jesus, and Jesus is going to give him another nickname, and he says, get it behind me, Satan. So Peter's anything but stable, but Jesus says, you are Peter, you, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, there's a lot of confusion about that understanding, right, of what it means when Jesus says, and upon this rock. Now, our, our Roman Catholic neighbors, of course, uh, would, would say that, that uh, Peter was the first pope. And that the church was built upon him. But he's too unstable for, <laughs> for us to, anything to be built on him. But as, as Baptists, we, we believe that it's the confession that's the rock. That's the rock of the confession because that's what the church is built upon, people who are making that confession. That you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so it's important that we understand that that's Peter's, not, not the rock, but it's his confession. And Jesus builds upon the bedrock of that confession and that rock is the declaration that Jesus is Lord. And Peter understood this. If you go to his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4, Peter writes this. He says, as you come to him, referring to Jesus, as you come to Jesus, the living stone. And in, uh, in that translation, it's, the stone is, is uh, a large, a capital S. Rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him. Verse 5, you also, like living stones, little s, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So even Peter understood that he wasn't what the church was built upon. He refers to Jesus as the big stone and he's using us to build his church, the little stones, and building up a spiritual house into a holy priesthood. So we kind of understand then the church's foundation and the formation, but what about its function? Well, we get a little bit of that in, in verse 19 as Jesus goes on in his conversation here and he says, And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. 
Again, there's some confusion there. What, what is he talking about? What is he meaning here? And, and, and here's what I believe is that keys in Scripture are always references to truth and knowledge. Truth and knowledge. Uh, it was the custom of the scribes of that day that they wore keys around their belt because it symbolized keys of, of knowledge. Keys to understanding. And, and we see this in Luke chapter 11, even in the words of Jesus. As he's actually speaking woes, but in that we, we get an understanding. He says, woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourself have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. And so simply stated, the keys are uh, truth that can unlock for us and give us access in, into the knowledge that uh, the knowledge of God. It, it's the good news because it's the good news as uh, even though we didn't sing the words we, we heard played right before uh, or during the offering, amazing grace, my chains are gone. Why? Because you've been unshackled. You're not locked in to lies, but you have been unshackled by the truth. And that's so important to see, that the truth sets a person free. Jesus himself says that. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That's what keys do. They lock and unlock. And when we have the keys to the kingdom, that is, when we have the gospel that we help people to be free by the truth of that gospel. And it also gives us access. When I, uh, anytime I've gone to work for, uh, you know, a company or even a, a church, uh, you know, on the first day they would give me a set of keys. And it gave me access to the church building and to the office. And uh, I remember, you know, going to work for the Missouri Baptist Convention. They gave me this fob. And so, you know, it was an electronic key and it gave me access. And I remember uh, on the last day they, they took that fob, and, but I still had an access code. And, and so I was just kind of, you know, wondering. And I, and I went and I put in the access code and denied. Because I no longer work there. I no longer had access. But that's what keys do. It gives you access. And no one will have access into the kingdom of God. No one will have access to heaven unless they have the gospel, the key that unshackles them from your sin and gives you access into the kingdom. And so it's a sacred trust then that the church has been given these keys. And it's up to us as God's people to share the gospel, to share the truth so that others can be free just like we are. So that others can access the grace and mercy of God just as we have benefited from as well. It's a sacred trust. You see, God doesn't use the clouds in the sky to say, I'm God, believe in me. 
What does he use? You and I. We've been given that sacred trust to share freely so that others can be saved. Much is at stake. And we must take our responsibility to witness and to evangelize our world very seriously. And when we do, it's a joy to see others discover that freedom and the hope that you and I so much enjoy today. And finally, we take a look at the church's future. The church's future. Jesus says, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not overcome. Again, kind of a confusing passage. What, what is that saying? What is he meaning? What is the gates of Hades, the gates of hell? What, what is that phrase all about? And, you know, when you begin to just analyze it, you'll understand that a gate is not an offensive weapon. Sometimes we have this concept that, you know, it's the forces of hell coming against uh, the church. And, and, uh, and even though Satan is very active and he has uh, many minions that uh, are, are under his influence uh, trying to thwart what God is doing, that's not the image here. The gates of, of Hades in particular, as you look into the Old Testament, it gives us a clue. And we understand that it's a reference, an idiom, referring to death. So, for example, in Job 38, it says, Have the gates of death. And in the Old Testament, uh, in some translations, the gates of hell. Have the gates of hell or gates of death been shown you? Have you not seen the gates of the shadow of death? Psalm 9, 13, O Lord, see how my enemies persecute me. Have mercy and lift me up from the gates of death. Isaiah 38.10, I said in the prime of my life I must go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. So the implication is, is that the powers of death will not prevail against the church. That's good news, isn't it? Death itself will not extinguish the church. Why? Simply speaking... It, the head of the church is the one who overcame death. <laughs> he went to the grave and he overcame the grave. So if Jesus himself overcame the grave, overcame death, what can extinguish those who are his? Nothing. We, we know that when Jesus went to uh, Mary and Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. That's our hope. That's our joy. The death itself will not take out the church in this world. And that's an important point because we live in a day and a time when it seems like the, the church is in decline, and it is in America. And that's a whole other message. But sometimes people think, you know, we're not doing so well. And they, and they wonder, what about the future of the church? Is it going to make it? Is Christianity going to make it in, in America? And I will tell you, yes. And, and in fact, even if persecution should come, the church will thrive. I mean, it's thriving in China. It's, it's thriving in even Islamic uh, nations. 
where there's great persecution, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We have a future, and that future is eternal. That future is based upon our confession today. My question for you this morning as we close. To you, who is Jesus? Jesus would ask you this morning, who do you say that I am? And what is your answer today? As I look around, I'm sure that many of you have made that great confession that Jesus is Lord. And we rejoice today and we worship together today because we know that that fact is indeed true. But maybe today you've come and you've never made that declaration. You've never made that confession. But today that the Spirit has been at work in your life, convicting you of your sin, convincing you of the truth of who Jesus is, and you're ready to make that declaration. And we want to give you an opportunity to share that, to make that confession. And so I'm going to pray, and after we pray, then we'll sing a song together. And if you would like to come and, and share your confession, we would be here to receive you and to encourage you and to pray with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the hope that is ours because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. That our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That through your suffering, we are healed. That through your death and resurrection, we are made alive. Lord, we know that you are building your church and you're using the people of God to proclaim the gospel message, to proclaim the hope that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray today that there are any who need to come and to make that confession, Lord, that you would draw them near to yourself so that they can confess that you are Lord and be wonderfully and gloriously saved. We thank you for the hope that's ours in Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.